President Trump promises to deport millions of illegal immigrants. The military prepares to ship a thousand more troops to the Middle East. And Joe Biden struggles for enthusiasm. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. Well, we have a lot to get to today, a lot of breaking news. In geopolitical instability news, Iran has announced that it will break the uranium stockpile limit they agreed to under Barack Obama's crap nuclear deal. It is not really a coincidence that gold prices have been steadily rising since the tanker bombings in the Gulf of Oman. As I've been telling you for the past four years, gold is a solid safe haven against uncertainty. It should be part of your investment plan. Can you afford another hit to your retirement like the last downturn when the S&P dropped 50%? You can hedge against inflation and hedge against uncertainty and instability with precious metals. My savings plan is diversified. Yours should be as well. The company I trust with precious metals purchases is Birch Gold Group. Right now, thanks to a little-known IRS tax law, you can even move that IRA or eligible 401k into an IRA backed by physical gold and silver, which is perfect for folks who want to protect their hard-earned retirement savings from any future geopolitical uncertainty. Look back historically. When the bottom falls out of everything else, gold does tend to safeguard savings. Birch Gold Group has thousands of satisfied customers, countless five-star reviews, and A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Contact Birch Gold Group. Get a free information kit on physical precious metals. See if diversifying into gold and silver makes sense for you. The comprehensive 16-page kit shows how gold and silver can protect your savings, how you can legally move your IRA or 401k out of stocks and bonds into a precious metals IRA if that's something that you're into. To get that no-cost, no-obligation kit, text BEN to 474747. Again, text BEN, my name, to 474747 to get in touch with Birch Gold Group, the folks that I trust with precious metal purchases. That's BEN to 474747. Okay, so the big news today is that President Trump announced via the, twi- via the Twitter that he's going to deport millions of illegal immigrants. Now, I will say, I do not think that it is a generally good idea for the president of the United States to announce that he's going to deport millions of people via tweet. It seems like you should think that one out a little bit more and then, you know, announce a comprehensive policy. Maybe you should work with your own Department of Homeland Security or Immigration and Customs Enforcement to come up with a comprehensive strategy. Instead, the president basically just tweeted it out. So last night he tweeted out, next week, ICE will begin the process of removing the millions of illegal immigrants who have illicitly found their way into the United States. They will be removed as fast as they come in. Mexico, using their strong immigration laws, is doing a very good job of stopping people long before they get to our southern border. Guatemala is getting ready to sign a safe third third agreement, which I assume he means safe third party agreement. The only ones who won't do anything are the Democrats in Congress. They must vote to get rid of the loopholes and fix asylum. If so, border crisis will end quickly. Now, the last part of this is exactly right. If he's able to get a safe third country agreement out of the out of the Guatemalan government, that's a very good thing. Basically, what those agreements do is they say, if you immigrate, if you move from a country to another country, you don't claim asylum in the United States. You claim asylum in the country to which you have moved. We have a safe third party agreement with, for example, Canada. So if you are attempting to escape a bad home country and you go to Canada, you don't then apply to citizenship in the United States or for asylum rather in the United States. Instead, you stay in Canada because the idea is you are escaping from a bad place. You don't get to pick which country you go to. You get to pick which country you are escaping from. So if we get that agreement from Guatemala, we've been trying to get such an agreement from Mexico. That would obviously be a very good thing for the United States. It is also true that arrests on our southern border are in fact dropping. So whatever pressure Trump has applied to the Mexican government, credit where credit is due, that's working. According to the Washington Post, the number of migrant families crossing the border illegally has been falling in recent weeks, according to preliminary figures from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. Though U.S. officials say it's too soon to get a full picture of the impact on migration trends from President Trump's deal with Mexico. Remember just a couple of weeks ago, the president announced again 
via tweet that he had reached a deal with the Mexican government whereby they would avoid escalating tariffs by cracking down on illegal immigration traveling up from their southern border to their northern border into the United States. U.S. authorities detained more than 85,000 family unit members at the border in May, an average of nearly 2,800 per day. That number has declined about 13% since the beginning of June. That's the period during which Trump threatened to impose tariffs on Mexico and the government of President Andres Manuel Lopez Obrador, which is a, a very left government, agreed to an immigration crackdown to avoid the penalty. According to the Washington Post, U.S. officials say they are expecting a 15 to 20 percent decline in border arrests from May when authorities detained more than 144,000 and migration levels reached their highest point since 2006. The portion of migrants arriving as part of a family group has reached unprecedented levels in recent months, overwhelming U.S. border authorities who say they are ill-equipped to care for so many parents with children. They're ill-equipped to prepare for all of that because the Democrats have refused funding, including funding for extra beds at the border. They're deliberately creating a humanitarian crisis on the border. The Democrats are in Congress by not granting the funding necessary to make sure that people have livable conditions at the border when they arrive. The goal, of course, for many Democrats is that those people not having livable conditions should then be released into the interior of the United States. They tend to show up for their first court date because at that point, all they have to show is that they are willing to show up for a court date, basically. And then if within six months they are not processed, they're given a provisional green card and then they just overstay their green card and stay in the United States basically forever. That is the way illegal immigration has tended to work, at least crossing our southern border. Since the June 7th immigration deal with, with Trump, Mexico has begun to deploy thousands of National Guard forces to set up a highway checkpoint system and catch more Central American migrants as they head northward toward the U.S. border. By the way, it's worthwhile noting the escalation in family units attempting to come into the United States is an attempt to claim asylum. In other words, it used to be that a huge majority of the people who are crossing our southern border were single men who were trying to come into the United States looking for work, and then they would send money back home. Maybe eventually they'd try to bring their family up. Now you're seeing families arrive at the border specifically so that they have a more sympathetic asylum claim. The United States has also begun to send more asylum seekers back across the border into Mexico to await their U.S. immigration court hearings, which is an expansion of the Migrant Protection Protocols program that prevents the migrants from staying in the United States while they go through the asylum process. Again, that's an attempt by the Trump administration to stop people from disappearing after they show up for their, for their first court date and just being integrated into America's underground economy. The Mexican immigration enforcement crackdown has been concentrated in southern Mexico, so U.S. officials say it could take several weeks for the full effect of the effort to show up as a reduction in crossings at the U.S.-Mexico border. The United States is hoping that all of this is going to act as a deterrent. One U.S. official who spoke on the condition of anonymity said, we are seeing initial actions. We are seeing some signs they're having an impact. I think it's still too early to tell. Border arrests typically surge in the spring. Border arrests declined 17% from May 2018 to June 2018, an indication that the expected decline this month might not be a result of actually Trump administration policy, but might just be a seasonal thing. In other words, people are, it's moving into summer, it's harder to illegally immigrate, that's a lot of territory to cross, and so it's possible this is a natural decline, not necessarily the result of Trump administration policy. So we will see if that carries forward. Department of Homeland Security officials say that current migration patterns are less linked to seasonal labor demand than in the past. Instead, driven by the widespread view in Central America that those who migrate with children have an opportunity now to gain entry to the United States by taking advantage of legal gaps in the U.S. border system. Okay, so all of that is the predicate for the Trump announcement today when he says that we're gonna start removing millions of immigrants who are in the United States illegally. He did not offer any specifics, did President Trump. And this is in keeping with President Trump's patchwork at best approach to policy in which he just announces a thing and then hopes his administration backfills it. 
He's done this with regard to his policy on transgender folks in the military. He's done this with regard to executive authority on immigration. He's done this with regard to trade. He just announces these broad policies and then expects everybody else to clean up after him. Sometimes they do, sometimes they don't. It is never well thought out. Maybe it's all for PR purposes, but that's a pretty stunning announcement that you are simply going to start deporting millions of people. How is that going to happen? I'd like some details, and it's not just me. Ann Coulter, who's about as much of an immigration hawk as it is possible to be, she's the one who suggested that if President Trump built a wall, she wouldn't care if he aborted babies in the Oval Office, right? I mean, she is an immigration hawk at the highest level of hawkishness. She's saying, where are the specifics? Because she says Trump makes these sorts of announcements all the time on building a border wall, for example, and then there's no border wall. So what exactly is he going to actually do here? I want details because I want to know how this is going to be applied. You know, like I think most Americans... I would like to see illegal immigrants removed from the United States if they are not of benefit to the United States. I want to see this done on a one-by-one basis, basically. I think that people who who have been living in the United States for 10, 12 years, been contributing to the United States economy, are not on welfare, for example. Those folks might be an asset to the United States, and simply dropping them off at the local airport and having them fly back to their home countries That might actually not be the best policy. It seems to me that illegal immigrants should be processed exactly the same way that legal immigrants are processed. But if you're a newcoming illegal immigrant, if you crossed the border yesterday, then you being flown back to your home country or you being dropped back off at the border, that seems perfectly reasonable to me as well. So in other words, I think a case-by-case individualistic approach to illegal immigrants currently living in the country makes a hell of a lot of sense, as opposed to sort of the broad-based policy just announced by the Trump administration. Now, I also understand the folks who are saying, well, you're here illegally. That is a you problem, not a U.S. government problem. And so the U.S. government should be able to deport you. My point is that there are lots of people in the United States illegally who are, in fact, contributing to the United States and are people who we would want in the United States if they had immigrated legally. So some sort of process should be set up for them. I mean, this particular statement by the president doesn't actually explain what to do with the so-called dreamers, for example, people who have been here since they were children, brought by illegal immigrant parents, and have been living here effectively as Americans for the last 20 years. As I say, those people should be treated on a case-by-case basis. There is a difference between, obviously, an illegal immigrant who joins the U.S. military or an illegal immigrant who is in college right now after having gone through the American educational system and is an asset to our economy, and an illegal immigrant who committed a crime and is now sitting in a state prison. Under a deal reached earlier this month, Mexico has agreed to take Central American immigrants seeking asylum in the United States until their cases are heard in U.S. courts. The U.S. Vice President Mike Pence has suggested that Guatemala could receive asylum seekers from its neighbors as a so-called safe third country. That's exactly what Trump was suggesting today. Now, the fact is that there is not a lot of bones on this particular proposal, and this is actually part of the problem. ICE doesn't know exactly what is happening here. ICE is suggesting that They do not have the resources to deport millions of people. ICE is suggesting that there's been no guidance from the top down as to what all of this looks like. We'll get to more of that in just one second. First, no one really has time to go to the post office. I know I don't. Last time I went to the post office, I I was was in such a rush. I actually got a parking ticket. And in L.A., they won't clean up the homeless problem. They'll leave the streets as dirty as possible. But if you park in a red zone for more than five seconds flat, they will give you a $200 ticket because they got to make that money, man. 
Well, who's got time for the traffic and the parking and the lugging all your mail and packages and getting the traffic ticket? It is a real hassle. That is why you need Stamps.com. It's one of the most popular time-saving tools for small businesses. Stamps.com eliminates trips to the post office and saves you money with discounts you can't even get at the post office. Stamps.com brings all the amazing services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices or an online seller shipping out products or even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, Stamps.com can handle it all with ease. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or drop it in a mailbox. It is that simple. With Stamps.com, you get $0.05 cents off every first-class stamp, up to 40% off priority mail. Not to mention, it's a fraction of the cost of those expensive postage meters. It's a no-brainer. So go check out Stamps.com. And right now, my listeners get a special offer. It includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitment. Just go to Stamps.com, click on that microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com. Enter code Shapiro. Okay, so the Washington Post reports that there has been no direction from top down as to actually what is going on here. And not only that, there's a bigger problem. The bigger problem is that generally, if you are about to launch a wave of arrest, you don't announce that publicly. <laughs> like that, it's President Trump who has said that, right? President Trump says this about foreign policy all the time. Why would you try to announce your plans? You want to be unpredictable. Boom. Out of nowhere. Well, the same thing holds true when you are making immigration arrests. The Washington Post correctly reports large-scale ICE enforcement operations are typically kept secret to avoid tipping off targets. In 2018, Trump and other senior officials threatened the mayor of Oakland, California, with criminal prosecution for alerting city residents that immigration raids were in the works. Now, Trump and Stephen Miller, who is his senior immigration advisor, again, super hawkish, very close with Ann Coulter, have been prodding Homeland Security officials to arrest and remove thousands of family members whose deportation orders were expedited by the Justice Department this year. Now, all of that is fine. If the DOJ has already determined somebody should be deported, they should be deported. The plan is called the Rocket Docket, which has a, a catchy title to it. In April, Acting ICE Director Ronald Vidiello and Homeland Security Secretary Christian Nielsen were ousted after they hesitated to go forward with the plan, expressing concerns about its preparation, effectiveness, and the risk of public outrage from images of migrant children being taken into custody or separated from their families because presumably some of the people being deported have kids. So it's unclear, do the kids go with the parents? How exactly does all of this work? This is one of the things Trump is going to have to take into consideration. It's all fun and games until the pictures start hitting the front pages. Now, President Trump was fine with a harsh immigration policy until all the pictures started hitting the papers, at which point he backed off a lot of his harsh enforcement policies. Does he actually have the stomach to go forward with all of this in the run-up to a 2020 election? Vidiello was replaced at ICE by former FBI and Border Patrol official Mark Morgan, who had impressed the president with statements on cable TV in favor of harsh immigration enforcement measures. As according to the Washington Post, in his first two weeks on the job at ICE, Morgan has said publicly he plans to beef up interior enforcement and go after families with deportation orders, insisting the rulings must be upheld to a, to must be carried out in order to uphold the integrity of the country's legal system. Okay, and that of course is a hundred percent true. Now, I don't think that the folks at ICE are going out of their way to treat people in an inhumane fashion. I don't think it's inhumane to deport people who are here illegally if they ought to be deported. And we, we definitely need to beef up ICE. I mean, again, it is unclear exactly how all of this is going to be carried out, considering that ICE currently has a shortage on the border. I mean, on the border itself. Supporters of the plan, including Miller and Morgan and ICE Deputy Director Matthew Albans, have argued forcefully a dramatic and highly publicized operation of this type will send a message to families that are in defiance of deportation orders and could act as a deterrent for future immigration. That is certainly 
a possibility. Well, Democrats, of course, are taking this with uh, just the way you would expect. They're taking it with all of the sort of nuance and objectivity that is necessary in order for them to make a solid case. Leading the way is the the illustrious Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, so fresh, so face, fresh face, fresh face, McFace. And she did an Instagram last night while she was folding her laundry or something in which she suggested that ICE detention centers are like concentration camps. It's pretty amazing. The United States is running concentration camps on our southern border. And that is exactly what they are. They are concentration camps. And um, if that doesn't bother you, I don't, I got, I like, we can have, okay, whatever. I want to talk to the people that are concerned enough with humanity to say that we should not, that never again means something. Okay, so then she claimed she didn't mean any Nazi references. This this isn't a reference to actual concentration camps, right? She then tweeted out, for the shrieking Republicans who don't know the difference, concentration camps are not the same as death camps. Concentration camps are considered by experts as, quote, the mass detention of civilians without trial. And that's exactly what this administration is doing. Let me just point out, at the very end of her statement there, she says, never again. And that is a phrase that that was coined in the aftermath of the Holocaust. She's so radically disingenuous, so radically disingenuous. That came right after her tweet in which she said, this administration has established concentration camps on the southern border of the United States for immigrants, where they are being brutalized with dehumanizing conditions and dying. This is not hyperbole. This is the conclusion of expert analysis. And then she links to Esquire. That's where all the experts are, Esquire magazine. So just amazing stuff from AOC. Note to AOC, it is true that the term concentration camps has sometimes been used, like pre the Holocaust, to refer to mass detention of civilians illegally. But typically we use that phrase internment camps, like the Japanese internment camps, concentration camps, have come to be associated with death camps because that's what everyone associates them with, including you, who just said never again when you were talking about all of this. Don't tell me you're not making a Nazi reference when you are obviously making a Nazi reference. Well, actually, it's unbelievable. By the way, when you search concentration camps on Google, I just typed this in a minute ago just to see what comes up. The very first thing that comes up is Nazi concentration camps, Auschwitz-Birkenau, Belzec, Bergen-Belsen, Buchenwald, Chelmlo, Dachau. And then the next few hits, Nazi concentration camps from Wikipedia. Concentration camps, 1933 to 1939, the Holocaust Encyclopedia. Concentration camps from Britannica.com, internment center for political prisoners and members of national or minority groups who are confined for reasons of state security. So even by the more anodyne definition of concentration camps, she is wrong, considering that concentration camps are used for political dissidents, not for people who are breaking the law. Does she consider American jails concentration camps? Because those are technically places where we keep people who are civilians and not members of the military for long periods of time. I mean, this is, it's just absurd. Okay, if you are comparing Border Patrol and ICE to Nazi guards, or hell, if you're comparing this to Japanese internment when we took a bunch of American citizens of Japanese extraction under a Democratic president, FDR. That was the last time we had major internment camps in the United States. If you're comparing that to illegal immigrants cross the border and then we house them in facilities and those facilities are short beds because you Democrats won't give beds specifically in an attempt to pressure the release of these people, it's pretty astonishing. There is a Democratic agenda here. And here is the problem. Here is the problem. 
There is a middle ground on immigration that basically everybody agrees with. Close the border and then determine what to do with the people here. Democrats don't agree with either of those propositions right now. Radical Democrats like AOC, they don't want to close the border. They want the border wide open and they are not interested in dealing with the people who are here or deporting anyone who is here. In fact, they want a blanket amnesty for everyone who is here, which is why New York is now pushing driver's licenses for illegal immigrants. New York has done, California has done this already. The New York State Senate approved a bill on Monday to grant driver's licenses to undocumented immigrants, which is, I, I love this euphemism that is now used by much of the mainstream media. They've put out rules of engagement for the AP, for example, in which they say you're not supposed to use the terms illegal immigrant or illegal alien. You're not supposed to use the word illegal at all. You're supposed to say undocumented. Well, that's absurd. If you're an undocumented driver, you are driving illegally. Right? If you drive without papers, without a driver's license, you are driving illegally. Like there are certain things in the United States that require you to go through a legal process. If you do not do that, you are henceforth doing the thing illegally. The vote, together with the Assembly's passage last week, thrust New York into the center of an explosive national debate over immigration. It would reverse a nearly 20-year-old ban and end years of political paralysis on the issue. When the last vote was cast just after 8.30 p.m., immigration rights activists erupted into cheers. It's been an 18-year struggle, said Javier Valdez, the co-executive director of Make the Road New York, a prominent immigrant advocacy group. The resilience of the immigrant community has shown through once again. 12 states in Washington, D.C. currently allow undocumented immigrants to drive. But it makes it very difficult for undocumented immigrants to actually have insurance. So how that works is still up in the air. Plus, a driver's license gives you access to all sorts of other services that you wouldn't necessarily get if you are an undocumented immigrant. I mean, this sort of language, Senator Andrew Guarnades, who is a representative from South Brooklyn, he said, we keep hearing illegal, 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 and it angers me, infuriates me because no human being is illegal. It's not that human beings are illegal. It's that they have participated in illegal activity. You know what we call somebody when they commit a felony? A felon. It's like, well, no person is a felon because no person is illegal. What in the nonsense? We dehumanize and we delegitimize people who are our brothers and sisters in humanity. It is not dehumanizing someone or delegitimizing someone to say that they have committed a crime or that they are living in violation of the law. The reason that Democrats are interested in all of this, they made clear over the last few weeks when they suggested openly, quite openly, in fact, that they were in favor of illegal immigrants being counted in the United States census without regard to immigration characteristics, specifically so that all of the seats in the House of Representatives would be allocated on the basis of non-citizen population as opposed to citizen population, granting Democrats a bunch of seats in areas where they probably would not have seats otherwise. There's an agenda at play here, and frankly, it is not an agenda that is in concert with the interests of American citizens. It's, it's disturbing. And, and again, it prevents an issue from being solved that pretty much everybody agrees on. People want a lot of illegal immigrants who are here contributing to the economy, contributing to our culture, making the country better, to go through a legal process and then stay. And they want people who are not to be deported. And they want us to control our borders. Pretty much everyone agrees on this, except the far left, which apparently has taken control of the Democratic Party and seeks to create an issue of humanitarian crisis where none really ought to exist. Okay, we're going to get to the other big story of the day, which is the possibility of conflict with Iran. But first, you probably don't realize it. The average American blasts their eyes with bright screens for 11 hours every single day. That sounds crazy, but think about what you, you do all day. For me, it's definitely more than 11 hours. Right? I wake up in the morning, I'm checking my phone for my mail, I'm checking Twitter, and then I'm coming in here, and I'm doing my show, and I've got one, two, three, four, five screens in front of me. 
<laughs> I mean, you're blasting your eyes with this sort of light all the time. The fact is that the human mind is sort of programmed to watch people on TV, for example, and you can't stop looking at those screens because they give you the information that you need. You're working on a screen all day, but you can protect your eyes with a pair of Felix Grey glasses that are available with or without a prescription. Felix Grey glasses are a lifesaver for me, for sure. They filter out 90% of high energy blue light and eliminate the glare coming off all those screens. So I can live my life without the tired, dry eyes, the blurry vision, or the headaches. Unlike other blue light filtering glasses, Felix Grays have no yellow lens tint, so you can actually see everything in its true color, which is great. One of the things that annoys me about sunglasses and a lot of other tinted glasses is that I kind of like seeing color in the world. Felix Gray frames are handcrafted from high quality materials like organic Italian acetate, premium German steel. In fact, throwing on some Felix Grays is a pretty easy way to look pretty put together, actually. They're really good looking, these glasses. Felix Grey glasses are available in non-prescription, prescription, and readers. With free shipping and free returns, there is nothing to lose. Don't go another day looking at screens without the help of some Felix Greys. Go to felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Protect those peepers today. That is felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. felixgrayglasses.com slash Ben. Okay, so meanwhile, the conflict with Iran on the international level continues to militate. Members of the media continue to basically suggest that Trump is lying us into war, despite the fact that they have provided no evidence that Trump is lying us into war. In fact, Trump himself said today that he is certainly not interested in any sort of conflict with Iran. He said it would be one thing if we're talking about conflict over nuclear weapons. It is another thing if we are talking about you know, a shipping issue. Trump does not want conflict. Trump is by nature more of an isolationist on foreign policy. Now, Trump also can't be pushed too far. But in an interview, Trump called the recent tanker attacks very minor. He said, well, he would certainly go to war over nuclear weapons. He's less excited about international shipping. And yet you're hearing from folks on the left that, no, 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 Trump is, Trump is absolutely going to go to war. He's definitely going to go to war. I mean, look at this. We're, we're, we're right on the verge of war. We're we are not right on the verge of war. President Trump has no interest in war. I'll tell you who has even less interest in war. The people who have even less interest in war, that would be the folks in Iran. Because if you are in Iran and you want war, you are an idiot. Anybody who wants war with the United States, you know, you can push us and push us and push us and push us. And if you push us too far, then things are going to get very ugly for you extraordinarily quickly. And yet what you are seeing is a bunch of people who are blaming President Trump for Iranian aggression, which is quite insane. I am not seeing any sort of evidence that it's President Trump's sort of aggressiveness that is pushing Iran here other than the fact that we have put sanctions on one of the worst regimes on planet Earth, and they are arbitrarily attempting to drive up the price of oil by shutting down shipping straits. But President Trump is not interested in conflict. I don't know how many times he can say this. This is according to Time Magazine, not a friend to President Trump. He said, I would certainly go over nuclear weapons. He said, I would keep the other a question mark. But he said that when it comes to international oil supply, he's like, not really. He's like, really, I want to go to, I want to, go to war over this sort of thing? Trump told Time Magazine, the Gulf of Oman is less strategically important for the United States now than it used to be, citing China and Japan as nations that still rely on the region for significant proportions of their oil. He said other places get such vast amounts of oil there, we get very little. We've made tremendous progress in the last two and a half years in energy. And when the pipelines get built, we're now an exporter of energy. So we're not in the position we used to be in the Middle East where some people would say we are in there for the oil. He says that he agrees with the U.S. intelligence community's assessment that Iran was behind the attacks, saying, I don't think too many people don't believe it. But then he says, if you look at the rhetoric now compared to the days when they were signing that agreement where it was always death to America, death to America, we'll destroy America, we'll kill, we'll kill America. I'm not hearing that too much anymore, and I don't expect to. So President Trump is not looking for conflict here. 
I'll tell you that Iran continues to ratchet up the rhetoric because, again, Iran is is attempting to militate against its own population. The fact that, that Iran is a repressive, evil regime that cracks down on the human rights of its own citizens and therefore requires this sort of rally around the flag attack by uh, effect by attacking America. By the way, not uncommon in parts of the radical Muslim world. Hamas does the same thing with Israel. The Palestinian Authority does the same thing with Israel and the United States as well, by the way. Well, now Iran is saying that its stockpile of enriched uranium will surpass limits set by the 2015 international nuclear deal 10 days from now, unless European partners in the agreement do more to help it circumvent United States sanctions. So now they're playing North Korea. They're basically saying, we are going to simply develop our nuclear stockpile unless you give us money. And why wouldn't they do that? It's worked well for North Korea for years. The international community being filled with feckless dweebs, they've been jumping on the bandwagon basically saying, oh, please, let's be nice to Iran again. Then they'll stop with their uranium enrichment. Well, weird, because I was informed that Iran had dramatically decreased its capacity to develop uranium. I was, I mean, that's what they told us, right? I mean, we were told in the nuclear deal that Iran was going to demobilize a lot of its nuclear equipment. And yet, weirdly enough, within just a couple of months after the sanctions have really started to take effect, Iran has already mobilized to the extent that they can announce that 10 days from now, they're going to be able to spin up their nuclear machines and everything's fine. Weird. The announcement made by the spokesman for Iran's atomic energy organization was the first time that Tehran explicitly said it was on track to violate the agreement. The increase in both quantity and quality of the enriched fuel could shorten the time, currently estimated at one year, that it would take to produce enough for a nuclear weapon. Well, if you recall, all the way back to the Iran nuclear agreements, there were some of us who were suggesting that this was all just a ploy by the Iranians to gain money that they could use to spread terror all over the world, and it would allow them legally within 10 years to basically produce a nuclear bomb. That 10 years after the deal expired, 10 years in one day, they would have a nuclear weapon, and then they'd have the money and the nuclear weapon and the regional strength. And the Obama administration said, no, no, with the money will come moderation. With the money will come moderation is one of the dumbest arguments, especially in the aftermath of, uh, look, look what happened to China. I truly wonder how many states have been liberalized by the addition of money to their economy. Making an evil regime richer generally does not make the evil regime go away. Making an evil regime poorer sometimes makes the evil regime go away. Not always, but sometimes. Venezuela's evil it's, it, it has not been, it was not militated against. It was not, it was not lessened by the fact that Venezuela was incredibly oil rich. The USSR, when it was powerful, was a lot more dangerous than when it had been hit by sanctions, when its economy was collapsing in on itself. China has continued to gain power and credence in Southeast Asia. They've been pushing into the South China Sea. They're now threatening Hong Kong. Millions of people on the streets, and China doesn't care. They're just going to do what they want in Hong Kong if the United States and, and other members of the West don't stand up to the Chinese. That was made available by the fact that the West decided that they were going to, quote-unquote, liberalize China by allowing China to open its economy to the rest of the world. Now, I'm not a fan of Nixon opening China. I think that was a mistake. At the time, there were countervailing considerations. In a vacuum, it was a mistake. At the time, there were countervailing considerations, like the fact that China and Russia were allies who were trying to split off Mao from the Russian regime because we were trying to collapse the USSR. All of that I get. But in a vacuum, the opening of China, while good for many of China's citizens in terms of living standard, has been absolutely awful in terms of strengthening a horrible, terrible regime. This idea that we were going to moderate Iran in the same way, that we were just going to throw money at the Ayatollahs and suddenly the Ayatollahs would become liberal reformers who are all in favor of Pete Buttigieg or something. It's just, it's insane. And it was always insane. And yet you're hearing people today saying, well, why doesn't Trump just cave to them? It's Trump's intransigence 
that's creating all of this. It's Trump's intransigence. We'll get to more of this in just one second. First, let's talk about something we can all agree on, saving money. The reality is, if you're not shopping around, you're probably not saving money. So what if there was a way for somebody to do the shopping around for you? Well, that's exactly what Honey does. Honey is a free tool you download to your computer's browser. While you shop online, Honey scans the internet for coupon codes and other discounts, then it automatically applies the coupon with the biggest savings to your card at checkout like magic. It's really terrific. I mean, it just runs in the background of your computer, basically. And every time you buy something, you forget it's running. And then you save a bunch of money. It takes zero effort to install. Just two clicks. You're ready to start saving anytime you shop online. Not only do I love it, there are a bunch of users who love it as well. Here's what one user had to say. Fantastic experience so far. Got this via a recommendation. Read Endless Plugs via Daily Wire's Ben Shapiro show. I very much approve of the service. It saved me a ton. The comparisons and coupons are on point. Thanks. The extension probably saved me a thousand bucks last year. Okay, that is not a rarity. Honey saves you tons of money. There's really no reason not to use Honey. It's free to use. It's easy to install on your computer in just two clicks. Don't take it from me. Take it from our listeners. Get Honey for free at joinhoney.com slash Ben. That's joinhoney.com slash Ben. Honey is the smart shopping assistant that saves you time and saves you money. Go check out joinhoney.com slash Ben right now. Joinhoney.com slash Ben. So in a second, I want to get to a little bit more on this Iran situation. Again, there's an enormous amount of dishonesty that is taking place with regard to the Iran situation. People claiming that it's Trump's fault that Iran is, is radical. It's, it's really insane. It's really, it's really pretty, pretty wild stuff. We'll get to that in just a second. First, Gang, I got to inform you, we are taking our backstage live show on the road for a very special one-night-only event, August 21st at the Terrace Theater in Long Beach, California. That is correct. Me, Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin. I don't know why we're bringing him, but Michael Moles. Even more important than Michael Moles, the Daily Wire merchandise table will be there so we can actually sell things to you. We will talk politics and pop culture. My favorite part, we're going to answer your questions live from the audience. Tickets go on sale to the public this Friday, but today through Thursday... Only Daily Wire subscribers get exclusive pre-sale ticket access, which is one of the reasons you should subscribe. Become a subscriber. Get your tickets today. Come join us for a fantastic event. I mean, let's be frank. Do I really want to be there on a weeknight, like in August? I don't know. But since I'm there, you should come also. We'll have a good time. I promise. It'll be fun. Go check it out right now and subscribe. You should also subscribe for all the other goodies, obviously. You should get the additional two hours of my show every single day. We are working hard to bring you additional content every day. For 99 bucks a year, you get this, the very greatest in beverage vessels, leftist here's hot or cold tumbler, which is indeed magnificent. All sorts of wonderful things available to you when you subscribe. Also, you're helping us out. I mean, as I've been saying now for months, the fact is that there's so many people on the left who are intent on destroying the show, going after our advertisers, trying to prevent you from getting access to this show on social media and many other places. Well, this is one of the reasons you should subscribe, so you never have to worry about them taking it away from you. Also, it helps us maintain our brand in terms of never having to cave. I would never cave anyway. But the fact is that you help us bring you the show at the quality that you are used to seeing it when you subscribe. So please join the team. That is the best way you can help us out for $9.99 a month or $99 a year. If you forgot to buy dad something for Father's Day, it's not too late. Do it now. He'll still appreciate it. We are the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. All righty, so... Let's talk a little bit more about this Iran thing. There are a bunch of conspiracy theories that are floating around. President Trump, desperate to go to war, deeply wants to go to war. And all of this is nuts. Where is the evidence that President Trump is manipulating the intelligence in order to go to war? I've yet to see any of it. As I say, yesterday, Adam Schiff, who President Trump despises, President Trump who, uh, who 
Adam Schiff thinks is the worst person ever is like Adam Schiff was saying that Trump is right on the Iran stuff. So here's Adam Schiff uh, on Sunday. There's no question that Iran is behind the attacks. I think the evidence is uh, very strong and compelling. In in fact, I think this was a class A screw up by Iran uh, to insert a mine on the ship. It didn't detonate. They had to go back and retrieve it. I can imagine there are some uh, Iranian heads rolling uh, for that uh, botched operation. But nonetheless, the problem is that we are struggling, even uh, in the midst of uh, this solid evidence, to persuade our allies to join us uh, in any kind of a response. And it shows just how isolated the United States has become. Okay, well, as Eli Lake writes over at Bloomberg.com, the fact that there are so many members of of the European contingent and of the press who keep saying that Trump is responsible for Iranian aggression is actually incentivizing Iranian aggression. As Eli Lake writes over at Bloomberg, European diplomats are urging Trump to drop his campaign of maximum pressure and adopt one of maximum restraint. Eli Lake says this is asking to be blackmailed. Now that Iran is threatening to exceed the limits to uranium enrichment it agreed to in the 2015 nuclear deal, it's more important than ever to understand that restraint and dialogue will not bring Iran to heel. Start with an obvious point. Whether it was helping overthrow the government in Yemen or saving Syria's dictator as he gassed his own people, Iran was destabilizing the Middle East even as it negotiated with the West over its nuclear program starting in 2013. That's one reason why Trump is now trying a maximum pressure approach to get Iran to end its own adventures in the Middle East. You know, the, the idea that, that Trump is desperately looking for war, again, this is just, it's just silly talk. And, and it is amazing to me how many members of the intelligentsia are claiming that the intelligence community is now falsifying things. So the same people who are claiming that Trump was evil for doubting the intelligence community's assessment on Russia are now saying that when Trump says that the intelligence community is correct about Iran, that the intelligence community is now lying, I guess. So it's pretty amazing. James Clapper, who is a, a really nefarious figure in the America's intelligence community, the former director of national intelligence under Barack Obama, a deeply political figure who claimed for years that he had secret inside information that Trump was a Russian stooge. Well, now he's coming out and he's saying the intelligence community is deeply worried about Trump. Well, the intelligence community, so, so let me get this straight. We should trust them when they're worried about Trump, but we shouldn't trust them when they make an evidentiarily based assessment of whether Iran is behind attacks in the Gulf of Oman. If the president didn't know about this uh, uh, program uh, with the Russians, uh, assuming the, the New York Times article is accurate, well, he sure does now. Uh, I do know uh, there are other instances of where there have been uh, concerns uh, about uh, U.S. intelligence capabilities, particularly when it comes to Russia. Uh, since there is some mystery about just what exactly what the relationship is, particularly personally between uh, President Trump and, and Putin. So I think it's, uh, you know, can't confirm or deny, but it's certainly uh, plausible. And I do know there is concern in the intelligence community about that. It's amazing how intelligence community becomes such a malleable term. I have generally been in favor of the assessments of the intelligence community. That was true whether we were talking about the Mueller report, whether we were talking about Iran, whether we we're talking about Russia. I've been pretty consistent in my assessment that the folks in the intelligence community are really doing their best to bring you honest information. And until shown otherwise, I've tended to doubt the idea that the intelligence community is simply a political tool for whichever administration is in power. Now, if you can make that argument based on evidence, I'm willing to hear it. But it's amazing to watch as so many people shift their minds on this. Well, in response to all of this, the United States is sending about a thousand more troops to the Middle East amid tensions over that series of attacks on oil tankers, as according to the UK Telegraph. Patrick Shanahan, who's the acting U.S. Defense Secretary, 
announced the deployment on Monday, explaining that the move was for defensive purposes, citing concerns about a threat from Iran. He issued a statement. He said the recent Iranian attacks validate the reliable, credible intelligence we have received on hostile behavior by Iranian forces and their proxy groups that threaten United States personnel and interests across the region. And the Telegraph reports the series of mysterious attacks on oil tankers have been blamed by the U.S. on Iranian-laid limpet mines. So again, it's, it's, all, it's all very mysterious. It's super mysterious. General Mohammad Hossein Bagheri, the chief of the general staff of Iran's armed forces, denied Tehran was involved in the tanker attacks, saying on Monday the country would respond only in an open, strong, and very severe way if needed. But then he says, if we decided to block the Strait of Hormuz, we'll, we will do it in a way that even a drop of oil won't pass the strait. So yeah, clearly these are folks that we can trust with the, with the global supply of oil. Meanwhile, as I mentioned, Tehran is, is now blowing through their ultimatums on nuclear power. European officials say there, there appeared to be little hope of reaching a compromise before the Iranian deadline. If the European states had any cards, I think they would have played them by now. One diplomat said, if the deal does collapse, I love European media coverage. If the deal does collapse, it will plunge the world back into the uncertainty of the early 2010s. Oh, man, those were terrible. As opposed to the uncertainty of now when Iran has been backing Syria and Lebanon and Hamas and, and war in Yemen. Say it will collapse the world back into the uncertainty of the early 2010s when Iran was amassing material that could be used for a nuclear weapon while Israel and the U.S. threatened strikes on Iran's nuclear facilities to stop its progress. Yeah, it's true. I mean, now there's no uncertainty at all. I mean, we ended all that uncertainty with magical Obama. Weird how Iran was able to spin everything up in 10 days. Very, very strange. So, okay, meanwhile, the Democratic race continues to unfold. Joe Biden continues to lead in Democratic primaries, but the fact is that dude is just not getting the sort of, of enthusiasm that I think he was expecting. He's raised some $20 million to this point, but the average amount that he has raised at this point is $55, which is very high. That means there are a lot of big name donors who are giving a lot of money to Joe Biden. According to the Washington Post, Biden's divergence from other candidates on display at poverty fighting event. So he spoke at the Poor People's Campaign and there he outlined a new health care proposal which would build on the Affordable Care Act by increasing access for lower income people. But as the Washington Post reports, the former vice president's attack on health care is less sweeping than the Medicare for All plan embraced by some of his Democratic rivals, which they later touted on stage. The Reverend William Barber II, a founder of the campaign, asked attendees not to cheer or hiss, but rather to greet all the candidates with polite applause. Even in this subdued setting, however, the response to Biden was noticeably muted. He left the stage to applause that was less enthusiastic than that which greeted him. Biden sped through his four-minute opening statement, which ended when Barbara cut him off because of time constraints, leaving the former VP halfway through a story about Barack Obama's reaction to a 2015 church shooting. And then basically Biden went on there, up there and just referred to Obama, 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 Obama. He was uninspiring at best and odd at worst. He's taken this weird tack where he, he basically suggests that he can negotiate with Republicans in a way that no other Democrat can, waiting to see the evidence of that, considering that the Obama administration passed precisely zero bipartisan legislation. But here is Joe Biden explaining that we should be able to work with the GOP. And if we can't, maybe it's time for armed revolution. There are certain things where it just takes a brass knuckle fight. If you start off with the notion there's nothing you can do, well, might you all go home then, man? Or let's start a real physical revolution if you're talking about it. The reason why the rest of the world follows us and we're secure is not because we have the largest military in the world. It's because we not only lead by the power, the example of our power, but the power of our example. 
and you can shame people to do things the right way. It, it's really... <laughs> Uh, okay, can shame people to do things the right way. I, I love that that Joe Biden is talking about shaming people, a shameless human talking about shaming people. Now, here's the thing. I think people are actually reading Biden's comment wrong there. It's it's calculated to piss off pretty much everybody. This is why Biden is bad at his job, because his comment basically ticks off everyone. He's saying to the far left, I can negotiate with Republicans and you guys are radicals. And if you really believe you can't negotiate, then we should just have an armed revolution and fight people in the streets. Okay, so it's, it's calculated to tick off the left by proclaiming that they're irrational. And it's calculated to tick off the right by suggesting that if they don't cave to his agenda, he's in favor of armed revolution. Joe Biden, not good at his job. Also not good at his job. He continues to go around claiming that his first move is going to be to raise everybody's taxes. This worked great for Walter Mondale in 1984. Can't see how it goes wrong for Joe Biden. We have the greatest income inequity in the history of the United States of America since 1902. And the fact of the matter is, there is plenty, plenty of money to go around. The first thing I would do as president was eliminate the president's tax cut. Okay, so that is the very first thing you would do. Eliminate, that's a thing to run on, I suppose. It is a thing to run on. But Joe Biden still has to pander to the woke crowd. And so he suggests that America is still a deeply discriminatory, horrible place in every possible way. This is how you try to get the intersectional advocates on board. He says, our policies in America discriminate against everybody. Like literally every minority is discriminated against by American policy, which begs the question, weren't you vice president for eight years? I mean, haven't you been a senator since like 1820? And what have you been doing your whole career, dude? It's not only that we have less than half the people, in the United, almost half the people in the United States living in poverty. It's ridiculous that we have this extreme, extreme, extreme change that's going on. Deeply in, deep inequities in our society. Our policy discriminates uh, against and devalues black people, Native Americans, people of color, women, LGBTQ individuals, people with disabilities. Ref I'm going quick because I have four minutes. Refugees, immigrants, asylum seekers. And look, they talk about our children. These aren't somebody else's children. They're all our children. And so, again, America is a deeply terrible, terrible, awful, terrible place. Thank you, Joe Biden. So he, he's giving the wrong messages to everybody. His candidacy is weak. At best, he's still raising a ton of money because he's very, very famous because he was Barack Obama's vice president. But it's pretty obvious that the the momentum is with Elizabeth Warren at this point. If you are laying bets, Elizabeth Warren is the place to put your money. A.B. Stoddard, commentator on MSNBC, she points out that Elizabeth Warren is climbing in the polls. This is obvious to anyone who is watching the poll averages. You know, it's too early to talk about general election polls. It's not too early to talk about the primary polls. I think that Biden has crested. I think that Bernie is falling and Elizabeth Warren is picking up a lot of that support. Here's A.B. Stoddard making that point. What Elizabeth Warren is doing is showing people she really wants this job. So she's really expressing this hunger that people in small settings in her campaign appearances are responding to. She doesn't just want to be president. She wants to do president. I don't know that President Trump wanted to. I think he wanted to, you know, win. But uh, there are days when he doesn't act like he wants to do the job. Maybe Joe Biden's not showing up enough on the campaign trail. But her intensity about wanting to actually be president and govern and make all these changes is clearly breaking through. I mean, the fact is that the media have also been helping her out a ton by pushing her extraordinarily hard. Chris Matthews, in the meantime, is tearing down Bernie Sanders. So Chris Matthews, I always say, come in the morning, come out of the show, come on here, talk about Bernie Sanders. That guy, his hair's even worse than mine. Ah, go. I don't think the Democratic Party wants an ideological candidate. Mm -hmm. They want some reforms. They want, some, they want to win. They want to get rid of this guy. 
I don't think they particularly want to go radically left and have a, a government run the economy. My God, where has that ever worked? Nowhere in history has a government effectively run an economy. So I think Bernie's going to lose with his ideology, which he started to sell. I think he's crazy to do it. Nobody wants to hear that old stuff. And uh, I used to go to anti-war rallies, and these old characters would show up with their, uh, their card tables and their brochures, all the old left parties. Nobody wants that. They want a partisan victory for the Democrats, and they want a president they're proud of. They don't want a radical left. Well, I mean, I actually agree with Chris Matthews. I know. We've, we've come to that point. So Joe Biden doesn't have the enthusiasm. Bernie Sanders falling apart. Elizabeth Warren is going to be the beneficiary. Could this be a Trump-Warren race come 2020? It is certainly a possibility. Okay, time for some things I like and then some things that I hate. So things that I like. Brett Easton Ellis is one of the most interesting writers in the country. He has been a very for a very long time. He's also an interesting dude. Uh, and his new book, White, which is basically a series of essays on everything ranging from Hollywood to politics, is, is fascinating. It's really well-written. It's really interesting. And it's really kind of contrarian in a, in a wide variety of ways. He's one of the only people who works in Hollywood who is willing to give an honest assessment of the films in Hollywood and the critics in Hollywood. It's one of the things that makes him really interesting. Go pick up a copy of the book White. It's, it's contrarian in all the right ways. I, I find it fascinating. I think Brett's a fascinating dude. So go check out White by Brett, Brett Easton Ellis, one of the best books of the year, frankly. I think it's really good. It's one of the best kind of Hollywood books I've read in a very, very long time. Okay, time for a couple of quick things that I hate. The thing that I hate, number one, it's always fascinating to me to watch members of the media come out in favor of deplatforming people. That's always fun. I'm old enough to remember when the press used to do the, volt, the, the quote that was apocryphally attributed to Voltaire that I may disagree with what you say, but I'll fight for the death to your right to say it. Not anymore. Now it's, why won't you deplatform this person I don't like? So here's Poppy Harlow from CNN trying to push the CEO of Google to actually ban Steven Crowder from YouTube. YouTube has taken a lot of heat also for these uh, homophobic videos, specifically ones aimed at this Vox journalist that are still on, even after they put out these new guidelines. I asked him directly, why is that still there, those videos? Are you going to take them down? And they're in the middle of reviewing their guidelines again, meeting with outside groups, and they're considering it, but they don't know at this point. I mean, if, if this is fundamental to your business, they have to make the decision about where that line is between hate and free speech. Yeah, I get it. I get that they, they say that, that less than 1% of the videos stay up, but that's still 9 so, million yeah. videos uh, last year. It's enormous. A quarter. In a quarter. Okay, so, um, yeah, the fact, that, the fact that a CNN journalist is pushing for this sort of stuff should be a little bit scary to all of us. Okay, other things that I hate today. So this is perhaps the dumbest headline I have ever read. Uh, it is an article by Philip Lamar Cunningham, an assistant professor of media studies at Quinnipiac University in Connecticut. Here is the headline. 25 years ago, O.J. Simpson showed white Americans just how conditional their comfort with black athletes was. Well, I feel like you're missing a little part of the story. You know, the part where he's a murderer, the part where he killed his ex-wife and Ronald Goldman and then ran away and lied about it and obviously did it. That's the part that I find a little bit, allegedly. Yeah, that's the part that I find, you know, like... Everybody seemed kind of okay with like O.J. Simpson and commercials and being an athlete and the towering inferno carrying a cat all weird. But it was the point where he sliced off his ex-wife's head, allegedly. It was at that point when I think people were like, you know, I'm off the juices bandwagon. At this point, I don't really care about his rushing records as much as I care about the fact that he was chopping off his ex-wife's head. <laughs> but here's the article. O.J. Simpson is back in the news, joining Twitter and promising in a video that he had a little getting even to do 
25 years to the week of his most infamous moment, which is pretty scary. When O.J. Simpson comes back on the Twitters and he says he's got some getting even to do, everybody locks their doors. He's far from the household name he was on the night of June 17th, 1994. That night, an epic battle between two of the best centers in the National Basketball Association, Hakeem Olajuwon and Patrick Ewing, was interrupted when NBC shifted to live footage of retired football great O.J. Simpson fleeing the L.A. police in a white Ford Bronco driven by his friend Al Cowlings. I remember I was very irritated by this because I was watching the NBA Finals at the time. Only about 8 million viewers watched NBC's coverage of the game. About 95 million tuned in across networks to see whether a distraught Simpson would surrender, clash with the police, or kill himself. The car chase coming in the middle of the fifth game of the NBA Finals cast a brief pall on what had been a watershed moment for black athletes. To suggest that Simpson overshadowed a decade's worth of goodwill toward black athletes would be an overstatement. But Simpson, arguably a major source of this goodwill, certainly made clear the conditions white Americans put on their goodwill, even as the nation's greatest black athletes continue to thrill and amaze. Well, I mean, I don't really think that my perspective on Hakeem Olajuwon changed dramatically because O.J. Simpson chopped somebody's head off, allegedly. I, 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 I was watching that game, and I don't remember being like, well, now I can't watch the NBA Finals anymore. I mean, there's Patrick Ewing. He's black. And there's Akeem Olajuwon. He's black. And O.J. Simpson is black. Therefore, probably all of them are like, who Was there anyone in America who did that? Because that's not only racist, it's stupid. Like, what, what in the, what? But don't worry. This professor has more to say. He says, after years of being criticized for their politics and demeanor, black athletes spent the 1980s gaining recognition primarily for their ability and affability. And he talks about Muhammad Ali and how Bill Russell and Jim Brown and Lou Alcindor, who was then, became Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, how they were all very proud and political in the 1960s and 1970s, and then how they sort of softened themselves in the 1980s. And then the idea was that there were only certain circumstances under which people were willing to grant credibility to black athletes. Well, I mean, it's possible that a lot of people just didn't agree with those athletes about, for example, the Vietnam War, but it, it, this, this article is basically ignoring sort of the key in why people started to not like O.J. Simpson. They say, Simpson, the archetype for Michael Jordan, was still relatively successful in the months before the Bronco chase. In, in January 1994, he served as pregame analyst on NBC's Super Bowl broadcast. He appeared on his recurring role as Officer Nordberg in the police procedural parody Naked Gun, which was released that March. He even partnered with singer Gloria Estefan to raise $30 million for spinal cord research. The Bronco chase forced Americans not only to wrestle with the increasing likelihood of Simpson's guilt, but also to recognize that perhaps he was not who they thought he was. He was not the smiling Petchman running through airports or the frequent victim of comedic violence in Naked Gun. He was OJ and he was black. Over the years, the Bronco chase has been viewed as a galvanizing moment as a third of the country tuned in to watch the tragedy unfold. That night, NBC concluded that OJ Simpson's fall from grace was important enough to disrupt an epic battle between two of the greatest NBA players of all time. It was important to note at the time, by the way, the NBA Finals were not drawing dramatic ratings. And you know what did draw dramatic ratings? A guy who was wanted for murder, one of the most prominent people in America, running from police in the back of a car while telephoning in and explaining that he was about to shoot himself in the head. Turns out that, I mean, I may have been watching the NBA Finals, but one of those things is a little bit more compelling TV even though the, the images themselves were not particularly compelling. The chase not only disrupted the NBA Finals, says this columnist, it also unsettled the comfort white Americans had developed for black athletes. No, that's not correct. The part that unsettled us was not the Bronco chase. It was the murder. Uh, the, the dramatic misreading of the OJ case continues to baffle me. And it does show the racial polarization in the country. 
in, in dramatic ways. The, the evidenceless sort of assessment of particular cases continues to plague America right now. It's fascinating. I had Larry Wilmore on my Sunday special, the comedian from Comedy Central. You should go listen to it. It was a really good conversation. And we were talking about particular incidents of police brutality and racism. So there was this incident just over the weekend in which Phoenix police on tape appeared to be dramatically abusing a black man and woman. Apparently, they had a little four-year-old kid who, who took a 99-cent doll from like a 99-cent store, and the police pulled over this couple, and they are abusing them and shouting at them, pointing guns at them. I mean, it's insane. It's an insane tape. And barring some sort of exigent circumstances we don't know about, it is brutal, and those police officers should be fired. They should have their, their pensions removed. I mean, it is, it is really bad. I mean, it's, it's, it's these folks shouting at this couple that is attempting to comply with the... With, and then in their police report, they just ignored all of this sort of stuff. It's really, really bad stuff. And it was caught on tape, which is why I'm in favor and have been for a long time of, of officers having body cams on them because it keeps everybody honest. You know, those... So... In other words, there are certain incidents where it's pretty obvious what is going on from the tape itself. There are certain incidents where it's not obvious and the media covers it in the wrong way. Michael Brown in Ferguson being a prime example of, of that exact sort of thing. But because everybody wants to batten down the hatches with regard to narrative, and this is particularly true when it comes to racial crimes and racial issues, we end up with these bizarre polling statistics on things like Michael Brown, where there's an actual disputed circumstance. Well, the O.J. Simpson case is a perfect example of this. So if you actually look, at the opinions between black folks and white folks on O.J. Simpson, right from the outset, a vast majority of white people thought that O.J. Simpson was guilty. The reason being O.J. Simpson was absolutely guilty. There is no question that he was guilty. I mean, all the evidence is that he was guilty. All of it. There's not a shred of evidence that O.J. Simpson was innocent in that case. None. Okay, so white people immediately thought that O.J. Simpson was guilty. Now, that could be reflective of supposed white racism, or it could be reflective of the evidence in a particular case. One of the things that you will see in, for example, the Michael Brown case is that the initial, the initial polls showed that white people said they didn't have enough information to know what had happened, and black people suggested, by and large, that this was a racial killing. Well, in the OJ case, the vast majority of black people initially said that OJ Simpson, that OJ Simpson was, was innocent. So 75% of white Americans said that OJ was guilty. That has now risen to something like 90% of white Americans. 73% or 72% of black Americans said that OJ was not guilty at the exact same time. I mean, you have to forcibly ignore evidence to do that. But again, if narrative is more important than evidence, this holds true for every race. If narrative is more important than evidence, then you have failed the basic test of common decency. Evidence ought to trump narrative, obviously. And now it has, right? Over the years, a majority of black folks, now about 55%, say that OJ is guilty. Shockingly, still 27% of black folks somewhere in that neighborhood, 25% of black folks, still say that OJ was innocent, which is pretty amazing. Why the shift? So 538 says developments in the murder trial and events in Simpson's life probably have played a role. Or alternatively, it was a very, very fraught time and people decided to take an incident and shift it into the narrative. This is after Rodney King. They decided to put this into the middle of a narrative as opposed to looking at the evidence on its face. And afterward, it's a lot easier to assess the evidence on its face. The question is, if you're a decent person, can you assess evidence on its face when you first see it, or do you have to wait for the narrative to emerge and then be defeated over time? Okay, well, we'll be back here a little bit later today with two additional hours. Otherwise, we'll see you back here tomorrow. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer, Jeremy Boring, senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover. 
and our technical producer is Austin Stevens. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Jesua Olvera. Production assistant, Nick Sheehan. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. President Trump announces plans to deport millions of illegal aliens. It seems to me I've heard that song before. Then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez accuses the United States of holding illegal aliens in concentration camps, just like the Holocaust. And finally, the Washington Post identifies the real reason white America became distrustful of O.J. Simpson. Hint, it's not because he murdered his ex-wife. Check it out at The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second first. Pure Talk believes in American values, and that free should mean, you know, like free. So when you switch to Pure Talk today, you'll get a free Samsung 5G smartphone. There's no four-line requirement, no activation fee, just a free Samsung that's built to last with a rugged screen, quick-charging battery, and top-tier data security. Qualifying plans start at just 35 bucks a month for unlimited talk, text, 15 gigs of data, and a mobile hotspot. Pure Talk gives you phenomenal coverage on America's most dependable 5G network. It's the same coverage you know and love, but for half the price of the other guys. The average family saves almost $1,000 a year. So I challenge you to choose a company that actually doesn't hate your guts and shares your values. Let Pure Talk's expert U.S. customer service team help you make the switch today. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro to claim your eligibility for your free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone and start saving on wireless today. Again, go to puretalk.com Shapiro to switch to my cell phone company. I've been using them for years. They're fantastic. You'll love them as well. Go to puretalk.com Shapiro and claim your eligibility on that free brand new Samsung 5G smartphone. Start saving. 